Glad y'all are here. We'll be in Psalms again tonight. This will be our last study uh, in Psalms. It'll be part four. We did our first two before the holiday, and we'll do uh, these last two immediately following. That is a serious crew of kids. I was watching them come in. I was intimidated. I know, that's just a small part. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Lord, we come to you now, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for how good you are. We thank you for how perfect you are. We thank you that that you've revealed to us uh, a reality that you're great, and you're greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. And so you make it known to us in part now, and we eagerly anticipate when we see it in full, um, completely unhindered by our sin uh, in eternity. Lord, in light of um, what we've heard this last Sunday, we're we're eagerly anticipating um, your kingdom here. We eagerly anticipate when you... uh, Return and establish forever that which is perfect. Um, Lord, we're thankful that uh, you give us the the spirit to give us understanding. We're thankful that you give us one another to to help encourage and stir one another up by way of reminder. We're thankful that um, you give us so many different forms of help uh, through the word, through other people, through a combination of those two things, through prayer, through the power of the Spirit, and that we are a people who can persevere and move um, through anything, really, uh, anything that happens on earth. Uh, and because of that, we love you. And, and our prayer tonight is that as we study this last study in Psalms and we talk about thanksgiving, that we would genuinely be thankful and that you would be glorified in our time tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We, the title for Psalms has been Wisdom for Spiritual People. And so we're entering into the wisdom books here. And we're talking about wisdom for spiritual people. And we're looking at what it biblically means to actually be spiritual, not by cultural terms or worldly terms, but by biblical terms. What does it mean to be spiritual according to God? And the truth that we started out with uh, before the holidays that we, iter- we reiterated last week and that we're starting with again this week, is that fundamental to any biblical spirituality, this is something that Mark Dever said, he said, fundamental to any biblical spirituality is a real joy in God and who he has revealed himself to be. It's centered on God. So what we have seen in our approach, we've talked about these, so far we've talked about six of them, tonight we'll get to point seven of these biblical um, spirituality characteristics and what, we're, what we see from the get-go and what I'm wanting us to see along every step of the way is that it's not about going on some spiritual journey to find God, but it's about focusing and centering on God, and, and in doing that, we find true spirituality. So it's not about do, going about spiritual things in hopes that we get closer to God. It's about completely centering on God, focusing on God, listening to God's words. It's in that that we'll find what it means to be really spiritual. So... It's in, when, in centering on God that we find that people are praise-giving, that we find that people are honest. People 
don't forget what God has said and what his promises are. The people are moral. The people are changing, trusting, and thanksgiving. So review from last week. The first thing we started off with last week was that a truly biblically spiritual person is changing. And sometimes that's a hard reminder for us that you need to change. Some of us get into sort of these um, ruts that we're really okay with, where this is who I am, this is my life, this is where I'm going, this is how I'm moving. If anyone has anything to say negative about it, I don't want to hear it. But the reality is, in this fallen state as we're being conformed to the image of Christ, we are people who need to change. And so we looked at 2 Corinthians 7, and it talks about godly grief and worldly grief. And so in review, we'll see who was listening last week. What is the difference between godly grief and worldly grief? Say that again. The intent. And what is the difference in the intent between godly grief and worldly grief? You're right. Yeah. Yes. If it's worldly grief, it's focused on self. If it's godly grief, it's how it impacts God's plan and God's focus, God's intentions. And what does worldly grief lead to, according to 2 Corinthians? Mm-hmm. Death, yeah. And, and so what does godly grief lead to? Repentance and life. And so godly grief and worldly grief are different. We've got to always make sure that we're talking about change, that we're, we're, we're looking at the right kind of grief and moving accordingly. So, you know, just to make sure it's clear, we should, if truly centered on God, expect that we will need to change and we will be expected to change as members of the body, as people who are spiritual always changing, always being conformed to the image of Christ, always seeking to grow in holiness. Uh, the, second, the second thing we talked about last week was trusting. And we looked at Psalm 62, 1 through 8. And the psalmist in that psalm urges us to just release everything that we would otherwise put our trust in and to trust in God alone. Um, what, are some things, just, just, what are some things we can have a tendency to trust in other than God? Ourself, yes. Parenting, yes. I don't need God for parenting as long as I do the parenting thing right and follow all my steps, yes. What are some other things we could trust in other than God? Other people, absolutely. What else? Riches. What else? Government. I mean, I think we're all past that, aren't we? <laughs> yes, there's many things that we can, uh, we can put our trust in other than God. And, and a mark of the, the spiritual person is that they're looking at that and they're saying, is there anything? Regularly pouring your heart out to God and being done letting loose of the things that we would otherwise put our trust in, um, trusting in him alone. Now, that doesn't mean that those are bad things. You know, trusting other people isn't a bad thing. It's a matter of where they land. It, you know, paying attention to your finances and making sure you're doing a good job being a steward isn't a bad thing, but where does that land? Are you putting your trust in your attention and your stewardship? Are you putting your trust in God? So nothing can, can trump God in that. The New Testament word for trust is faith. 
The New Testament word for trust is faith. And so the question we considered last week was, do you see the two of those things inseparable? Do you in your Christian walk see trust and faith as inseparable? Because what we could do, if we're not careful, is see um, trust as just something we may do as people of faith. But the, the New Testament language makes them inseparable. The trust and faith go together, and you don't, you don't separate them. Because, and our faith is in the Lord because we trust the Lord completely. So remember the warning that we had last week from Spurgeon, that there's a difference between merely saying, I trust in Jesus, and true trust that's revealed through repentance, vital change, and inward godliness. And that trust um, will, fall, will come in the state of a quieted and a calm soul, as we read in Psalm 62. Oh, my soul, why are you so loud within me? And, and you see the psalmist addressing his soul, quieting his soul because of the trust that he has in Jesus, even in a moment, in a, in a circumstance that's very, very difficult and, and tumultuous. So tonight, we're going to consider our final biblical characteristic of the truly spiritual person. People who are focused on the Lord, centered on the Lord, you will inevitably see their spirituality in how thankful they are. Thankfulness. That's what we're looking at tonight. Uh, how thankful people are, how, how truly spiritual people who are centered on the Lord, walking with God, time in the Word, not focused on themselves and everything, but focused on God, you will find them to be very thankful. Now, this may be considered one of the most prominent characteristics of the biblically spiritual. There's about 19 psalms, and all the psalms, there's about 19 of them um, that, that are about thanksgiving. Two-thirds of those are, are, uh, are individual, and one-third of those are communal. So, what are the, knowing that one-third is communal and two-thirds are individual, where, where are two areas where we should find ourselves giving thanks regularly? When? Yes. So, yeah, so what does that cover? Yeah, so that means we should be giving thanks either when we're with others or when we're by ourselves. So all the time, we should be a people who are full of thanks. I was thinking about... Um, uh, the text that, and we won't really go there a whole lot tonight about being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You know, so a, a factor, a part of rejoicing that's this exultant, I cannot help but say how good God is. And you do that because you're actually thankful for who he is and for what he's doing. And that sorrowful yet always rejoicing, it was interesting, I was thinking about those as sorrowful as sort of a state and rejoicing is this action and what you do in the state. So if we're people who are sorrowful yet always rejoicing, that means that there may be great sorrow that's going on, whether you're with other people, whether you're by yourself, but whether you're with other people or by yourself, you are always giving thanks, always giving thanks. So uh, turn to Psalm 124. We're going to look at the communal um, giving of thanks first. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent 
would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What are some details of this communal example of thanksgiving? What are some things that stick out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes we, I mean, you got to be intentional to think like that, right? Like to say, this is the situation that we're in right now. Had not the Lord done this, think about what it would be like. Like there, there's, there's an intentionality there to sit and say, I'm going to sit, I'm going to look at where we're at as a people. We're going to sit together. We're going to say, let's consider where we are. And in doing that, as in communal thanksgiving, you'll go into this place of saying, you know, if it, if it had not been for the Lord, this could have happened. It, if, if it had not been for the Lord, this could have happened. Now, we don't want to turn the church into the, this paranoid f- frenzy, like, if he hadn't protected me, I could have gotten in a car wreck on the way here. I mean, yes, that's true. But there are things, that, these ups and downs, and these challenges that we face that we can look back and say, you know what? If not for the Lord, that could have been very, very different. What else sticks out? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't just say that it could have been bad, but but it's it articulates how bad it could have been, being swallowed up alive. What else do we see in there? Yeah. If not for the Lord, they'd be dead. Has anyone ever ever gone there in your worship? I'd be dead if if not for the Lord. I mean, some of us would never have made it out of our teenage years or, you know, high school years, college years, for sure. But there's so many things that could be very real threats to our life, uh, very real things that could come against us. And and if not for the Lord, we would be dead. In fact, I, I was reminded this week, I, I wrote, I was reading it beforehand. I wrote in my journal, and I, I don't know exactly what was going on at the moment that I wrote it. But when I looked back at it, I was like, huh. Um, I just wrote, God will, God will spare me from death until my work's done. God will spare me from death until my work's done. So this, this picture that, man, that he's, he's spared us to some degree if we're sitting here and, and our work's not done and we give him praise and thanks for that and we move forward wholeheartedly and faithfully. Um, question, uh, any, is there anything else that sticks out about the communal Thanksgiving? Yeah, that's, that's part of the beauty of this communal thanksgiving. You see this one person giving thanks for the whole group. It's not hard to find one person focused on 
maybe what they've experienced. But for one person to say, you know what, I'm looking, I got my eyes up, but I'm seeing uh, a room full of people who are blessed by God, and I see it in, in this manner. And it's good. It, that, that's, a, that's what it means to be a member of a community. So as an exercise, what are some, some of our, as a community, the examples that we could give of communal thanksgiving that are personal to our body? Ten years we've been here. Absolutely, absolutely. When you see someone who has gone through the Matthew 18 discipline process and who has, we oftentimes people make a mistake that the last step of the process is putting someone out of fellowship, but the last step is restoration. That's what we're aiming for the whole time. And when we see someone restored to this fellowship, which we've seen a handful of times, it is sweet. And God is worthy of praise for such movement because it wouldn't happen without him otherwise. That's a great one. Plural leadership. Yeah. No one who came to Cross Point to help plant Cross Point had been a part of anything that was plurally led or elder led previous. So it was absolutely the Lord's doing through the word to say in, in Titus and in First Timothy three to say, This is my structure for church. And and plural leadership does not just mean we have elders. Plural leadership means there are numerous men walking boldly and wholeheartedly in leadership of this body, not just the elders. It's good. What else? We've seen several instances where there's been great division, but God has preserved us as a body. Yeah, like any group of people in the course of history moving together, there are possibilities for division. That's nothing new. But the Lord has, has gone to great lengths to make sure that no major division has happened in our body in 10 years, and he's worthy of praise for that. We should be very, very thankful for that and pray for it to continue. What else? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that, that he has a, a, he's created in this body a heart for adoption. Um, uh, the Cardwells were the first to adopt in this body. It was the first. And man, I, I don't know if I can count it at this point. It's pretty remarkable. And they weren't even trying to start a movement. <laughs> There's no master plan there, I don't think. Brad's pretty sharp, maybe. Christy's sharper, maybe. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. You think anything else? Our grandkids and great-grandkids won't be paying this dump off. It's paid off. This big rectangle is paid for in full. It may not be the, sh the flashiest thing, but it is paid for, and that's big because that frees us up. When you have lower fixed costs in ministry, you are freed up to move um, much more freely as, as the Spirit leads and as opportunity presents itself, and that is massive. That's a huge thing.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. What else do you need? Yeah. 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 The Lord's created in this body. Uh, the, the phrase that I, I don't even know who said it first, but I kind of grabbed it early on was big hearted and open handed. I mean, when there is a need, there's yet to be a need that we have put before the body that was not met. I mean, we're talking <laughs> big needs. There's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when, when, when those 95 families work together, um, it, is, it is amazing. I mean, adoptions paid for, houses furnished, vehicles given, um, num- a number of things. And it's, there's yet to be a need that wasn't met. Sometimes I'm tempted to just really try to push the envelope. Like, let's send out something crazy this week, see what happens. But they won't let me do that. You can be thankful for plurality on that one. <laughs> I think you alluded to it earlier with the kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, early on. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. The, uh, yeah, it was 2003, Jeff Collins. His kids were the, the only kiddos in the church aside from Ben's little bitty ones. And he was just burdened. And he walked through every building, every, every uh, room in the, in the other building and just prayed that the Lord would fill them with, with children. So turns out he's really good at praying. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that such a small congregation in little East Texas-ish would have a global footprint the way that we do. It's, it's remarkable. I remember the first time my wife and I pulled up and I said, all right, there it is, because we were coming to just visit. And she's like, where? Where is it? We're at the corner up here at 151734. It's like, you see that little L-shaped thing that looks like a, a thousand other L-shaped things? Like L-shaped church buildings? She was like, yeah, okay, cool. And I mean, it's just crazy to think, you know, the, the impact that's being had, you know, globally, just, just through families being faithful. It's, it's, it's remarkable. I think back to that first year, there was, there was a point where I, I was not 100% sure that Ben and I wouldn't actually kill each other. And so it's beautiful that, that through that first year of just button heads that here we are, we walk through fire uh, with one another. We, we laugh about it. Uh, now. Um, the Lord's brought us through it a ton, and I love just taking a few minutes the way we have to say, man, he's really good. And the reality is what we've mentioned is just a small fraction. There, there are many other very significant things that the Lord has brought us through, and, uh, and he's shown himself just immensely faithful, and, and, and it's very, very good. There's also the individual example of Thanksgiving. Turn to Psalm 34. interesting what thanksgiving does too honestly today i just my spirits were kind of low 
And just hearing some of that recounting of things that the Lord's done is just so, so encouraging, so helpful. We get God's promises and we hold on to them as tight as we can. Psalm 34, 1 through 8 says, this is an individual example of thanksgiving. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What are some things that stick out in those verses? Yeah. Now, one thing that's revealed in the, the individual psalms of thanksgiving is what the Lord does in the life of individuals. There, sometimes you read those and you're like, huh, I, I didn't think about doing that with my fear. Or I didn't think about you know, the refuge side of things and the protection side of things. And sometimes it reminds us we should quicken ourselves to go into the Lord, to, to humble ourselves before him. What are some other observations on those verses about the individual giving thanksgiving? Yes, inviting others. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's almost, there's a certain point where the individual just almost has nothing but a deep urging to make it communal, you know, <laughs> where you're saying, God, you're so good. God, you've, you've done so much for us. You've done so much for my, my family, for my children, for my wife. You know what? Let me, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call and talk to someone about that, you know, and there's this thing of come, enjoy, taste and see how good he is with me. There's, there's something about it, the, the table of Thanksgiving where you can eat alone, but interestingly, you don't, you don't always stay there for a long time. It's, it's, it's inevitable that it's sort of contagious and that's good. I think that's God's design. What else? Yeah, it has an effect on others as they as they look at you and know that you've been with the Lord. Yeah, you'll you'll never lack for anything. Truly understanding what it means to fearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can just, you know, I can just picture that, 
and just learning what that means, I think, is a lifelong process. But it is, I think it's the same as when you see someone is doing the Lord, you also know, you know, it's evident that they fear Him as well <coughs> in everything that they do. And, um, and it's comforting to know that He encamps mm-hmm. around us. Why is that significant? The Lord encamping around you. What's significant about that? Yeah. Yeah. Goes back to Sunday's sermon with the king. What would you say? Yeah. 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 Utmost provision. Yeah. 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 What do you, has anyone ever been camping, hunting, whatever, been in the woods? What are you not always aware of? Yeah, what's, a, <laughs> what's outside the tent? Yes, exactly. Especially in the dark. I mean, you're not always aware of what's around you. And the picture of him camping around you, that's a great point. It's not just, he's there when I perceive that I need him so that when I have that perceived need, I call upon him and he'll come. He's way more there than that. He he knows your deepest needs before you voice them. And so this picture of encamping around us is a great comfort because we don't always know what's lurking and how... I mean, just that reality right there says you're more protected by God than you'll ever, ever know. You're more protected by God than you'll ever, ever know. And for that, we give thanks. He's very good. Any other things that stick out on the individual there? Yeah, fear him above all the other things that you could fear, and you'll find deliverance from those, thing, from those things. That doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen to you, but you fear him above those things. You find that he, he encamps around you. You fear those things above him, and it doesn't work out like that because you become consumed with those things, and you fear them over the Lord. Um, it's, it's challenging in, these, in both of them to see how quickly God hears us and how often we quickly forget we pray for something, and then we get it, and that's it. And that, that, that's where thanksgiving comes into play. Um, if, if we quickly forget something that we've asked for, that he's, he's, he's granted, something that we needed, that he provided, something that we didn't even know we needed, and he provided before we even knew we needed it, this is nothing more than a lack of true thankfulness if, if we don't stop and acknowledge what he's done. How many difficulties come and go, and we fail to thank God for his provision and his wisdom and his help and his encouragement and his protection through the word and through other people. No matter the trial, the hardship, the difficulty, the storm, um, 
God always either, he either delivers us from it or he delivers us through it. That, that's what he does. He delivers his people. That struck down but not destroyed means you are a delivered people and you are people who continue to be delivered. So no matter what it is, he'll either deliver you through it or he'll deliver you from it. We probably prefer the from it because the through it means we got to go through it. But he, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He never says, good luck with that. I'll see you on the other side. He's with us. And he helps us through that. And so because of that, no matter how hard or horrible or wicked or dark or oppressive the trial is that you're in, there is never a time where you cannot look at him and say, thank you for delivering me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for persevering with me. Thank you for giving me what it takes not to give up, but to continue to persevere, to continue to move forward. No matter how desperate it feels, he's there. That's what he does. He encamps around his people and we should fear him above anything else. And that is sometimes very, very challenging. I mean, when we talk about real fear in life, you know, you start talking about your children and, and, your, and your family and, you know, your, your spouse. And you talk about, you know, job loss or, or sickness or something that really threatens things as you know them and love them. Fear is very, very real. But we fear the Lord above, above all those things and give him thanks um, as we move through them. Uh, because of him. So whether he's delivering you through it or from it, both of those things are deserving of very, very deep gratitude. And this is where we got to be careful. Deep gratitude. Um, we got to be careful not to fall into the debtor's ethic. We've talked about this before, and I thought it'd be appropriate just to revisit it very briefly um, tonight as we're talking about Thanksgiving. Um, we've considered this before, so turn to Psalm 50. The debtor's ethic is what I'm warning against right now. Now, in Psalm 50, verses 22 through 23, it says, Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Well, right there, God should have your attention. Mark this then you who forget God, lest I, God, tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God." Now, does anyone remember the Sunday morning that we went over this? Was anyone here for that? Fantastic. I must have really driven that one home. Um, these verses, uh, many have paraphrased verses 20 through, 22 through 23, saying, a thankful heart prepares the way. We have a song that we, uh, a thankful heart prepares the way for you, O God. And this picture of we have thankful hearts, it, it prepares the way for salvation. It readies us, these thankful hearts ready us and prepare us um, for, for the, the coming of the king, for, for the judgment, for, for, for the end to come, and for us to move forward in, in, in eternal uh, kingdom with him. And so a thankful heart prepares the way, meaning that if your life is ordered rightly and you're offering thanksgiving to God, this prepares you to receive salvation. That's what it says. So, have your life in order, be giving thanks regularly, and that prepares the way of the Lord. Now, this is where we have to be very, very careful. And the first time I ever 
went to teach those verses, I, I almost dropped the ball completely. I almost fumbled completely. Um, because one could read these verses, one could read these verses, seeing all that God has done, and, and all that he's done in the previous rest of the chapter there, where he goes to his people who are ungrateful, who are offering sacrifices the wrong way, he expresses serious, serious grace and mercy to them. He, he blesses them immensely. He draws them back to himself. He, tell, he doesn't just tell them what they're doing wrong, but he tells them what they could be doing right, how they could stop wasting their time in worship by bringing things while their hearts are far from him. And he's so gentle and so long-suffering and so persevering, and then he gets to this, the end, and it's this thankful heart prepares the way to the one who orders his way rightly, and they welcome the salvation of God. And we could read that, and seeing all that he's done, we could, we could say, true thankfulness is ordering your life rightly. Or you could just conclude, you know what? If you're really thankful, you'll be obedient. And while obedience is good, it's not good in the manner I just said. You, you can't conclude that um, God does good things, and so I will be thankful, but the way that I can be most thankful is to be obedient. Um, true thankfulness is obedience. This is not the point um, that Psalm 50 gets us to. Uh, th this is the thinking that's what I referred to as the debtor's ethic. Certainly, we feel indebted to God if we're really reckoning how good he is. Like tonight, as we talk about the things that he has brought us through um, as a community, the things he's brought us through individually, certainly as we do that, we will feel indebted to God. But there is a sad and a dangerous and a subtle shift when we turn God's goodness into a debt that we're trying to repay. You see what I'm saying? So don't say, God, you are so good. You've done that for me. You know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to, I'm going to pay you back with some thankfulness. That's the debtor's ethic, and that's not how we move. That's not worship. David Mathis says, a danger lurks. He says, the Bible doesn't have much, if anything, to say about obeying out of gratitude. When I first read that, I was like, huh, not so sure I believe, with you, believe you, Professor Mathis. And I went and started doing all my cross-referencing and looking in word searches, and I was like, okay. I'll continue reading. It seems like maybe he's right. The Bible doesn't have much, if anything, to say about obeying out of gratitude. Giving thanks to God for what he has given to us is precious and essential. And so is trusting him for his ongoing provision in the future. Thanksgiving is beautiful, but it can go bad on us if we try to give it faith's job. That makes sense? Thanksgiving can go bad on us if we try to give it faith's job. And in his book titled Future Grace, John Piper states, there's this impulse in the fallen human and all of our hearts to forget that gratitude is a spontaneous response of joy to receiving something. That's gratitude. It's holding up the cup of salvation because it, you, you receive something from God, you receive something from God and you go back and you say, how am I going to say thank you? I'm going to go back for seconds. I'm going to continue to hold up the cup of salvation. I can repay you nothing. All I can do is receive. Faith moves forward wholeheartedly in obedience, but you don't use thankfulness as a means of repaying the debt of his goodness. He's not, he doesn't want to put you back into debt. Galatians 5 says you've, you've been freed. So don't, do not submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery to say God's been good to me. Because of that, I'm going to be thankful and obey. 
That is the debtor's ethic. That's saying, I'm going to go ahead and, and um, uh, subject myself uh, willingly to, to the slavery that he freed me from. And so uh, Piper goes on to say, when we forget this, that spontaneous response of joy to receiving something, what happens is that gratitude starts to be misused and distorted as an impulse, rather than an impulse to just give him praise, we use it as an impulse to pay for the very thing that came to us for free. That, that terrible moment is the birthplace of the debtor's ethic. The debtor's ethic says, because you've done something good for me, I feel indebted to do something good for you. Because you delivered me through this, I feel indebted to obey you. Because you delivered me from getting caught lying, <laughs> I feel indebted to stop lying. Because you delivered me through poverty, I feel indebted to give thanks with my money. That's not how we move. That, that is enslaving yourself to the very thing that he freed you from. That is turning that gift into something that's, that's cheapening the gift. Because it was free. And you're saying, oh, I'll pay for it. No, it was free. It's from God. You, you don't have the goods to pay for it. No, I'll pay for it. It's, it's a lack of thankfulness. And it's an inability to just receive goodness from God knowing that you just can't repay him. You just, I'm just thankful. There's no strings attached. Thankfulness is what I hope we're getting to. God meant gratitude to be a spontaneous expression of pleasure in the gift and the goodwill of another. He did not mean it to be an impulse to return favors. It is, this is not, this thing we have between us and God is not a I scratch your back, you scratch mine thing. That's not how it works. If gratitude is twisted into a sense of debt, it gives birth to the debtor's ethic and what it does is it nullifies grace. So, how do we move? Well, we're just thankful. We just give thanks. <coughs> There's no strings attached to it. We're not trying to repay God by giving thanks. And we're not trying to earn something back from him. We're not, some, sometimes we can fall into this really ugly way of thinking where it's like, oh man, I don't want the good stuff to stop, so I'm going to make sure I give thanks. Don't do that. that your heart's wrong in that moment. If you're saying, oh, I'm going to give thanks because I don't want him to stop blessing me. No, give thanks because you're thankful for that blessing. You're not ever earning anything from God. So to be truly thankful takes humility. That, that's something that we may not have reckoned with. To be truly thankful takes humility. If, if you're the kind of person that really doesn't know what to do with a compliment, the kind of person that doesn't know what to do with a gift, um, maybe it's a humility issue. I struggle with that. That's the only reason I brought it up. It was like, oh, that's very familiar. Where it's like someone says something, you're not sure, how to just be thankful? We're not paying God back. So it takes a particular level of humility to be truly spiritual people who are truly giving thanks to God with no strings attached. Um, concluding this, these seven characteristics. The seven characteristics being... The truly spiritual person gives praise to God, is honest. We remember God's promises. We remember what he's done. We're moral. We're changing, trusting, and we give thanks. At the end of a, the concluding study that Deborah did on this, he said, if, he said, just picture this. If a spiritual sketch artist were to make a drawing based on these seven characteristics, would it bear any resemblance to you? It's a great question. 
These seven things that we've gone through in these four weeks, if a spiritual sketch artist, you know how a sketch artist works, you say, uh, this fact and this, this dynamic was at play in this person's face and this color of hair, and they put all of it together and they draw a picture, and it's supposed to look like what was, what was based on the characteristics that were shared. And so we just ask this question, if a spiritual sketch artist were to make a drawing based on Praise giving, honesty, remembering, morality, changing, trusting, and thanksgiving. Would the drawing bear any resemblance to you? The reality is it should. It should. Now I hope no one's sitting there saying, yeah, look just like me, because you're off on a, on a couple points. But the reality is that, that that picture, if done by a perfect sketch artist that had no flaws, would look just like Christ. That's what Christ did. Christ exhibited all of those spiritual characteristics in his life. And so if the spiritual sketch artist were to draw that picture based on those characteristics, what it would look like is Jesus Christ. And what are the followers of Christ supposed to do? Be conformed to the image of Christ. Does that make sense? Where it all comes together there, where that, that picture would be of Christ and we're supposed to, to look like him. So um, I encourage y'all. Um, we're getting to the this time of year is unique, in my opinion, to where you, it's post-holiday and you're getting back into the swing of things and it gets dark early. And I feel like it's all of the perfect storm to result in not being thankful, but complain. Not enough time, not enough energy, tired of back into the swing of things. And, and it's easy to, to result in complaining and vexing and fretting and discontentment. Um, but I want to encourage y'all to, to fight against that. To, to really set your minds and your hearts to fight against that, to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to submit to God by being truly thankful in all circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful. And uh, in those areas where we're not, we pray that you would work on us, that you would show us just how good you are and that we would be able to set our minds on the things above. Lord, I pray um, against cynicism and against pessimism. I pray against expectations of the worst. I pray against hard-heartedness and that you would find us deeply thankful for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for being unchanging and thank you for giving us your promises that let us know that just as you have never forsaken us in the past, you won't forsake us in the future either. Help us to persevere, to run the race, to lay hold of that which is laid hold of us. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.